Well, this morning I continue our message, our study through the book of James. We'll be in chapter 4, and I'll be speaking out of two verses, verses 11 and 12. But let me open with this story, or this question, really. Have you ever heard the warning, whatever you do, don't do blank? How many times have you heard that? I heard that a lot growing up. Many times my dad would tell me that. And usually it was about a topic that is just too easily overlooked or too easily taken for granted, but in reality something that's very important or has significant consequences if you do something. Reminds me of the time that my dad told me one of those many whatever you do, do not statements when my dad helped me to buy my first car. He told me, whatever you do, do not leave the keys in the car. That came to mind when I was dating my now wife, Charlotte, and I drove up in front of her home and walked her to the door after our date, fully intending to come back to my car. However, her family invited me in, and I went in, talked, and the time just flew by. And when I went out to get in my car to drive home, it was gone. And yes, the keys were in the car. My heart sank to my shoes. The car I had saved to buy for so long, my sweet Mustang was now stolen. And I would have to now tell my dad that what he had told me, what he had asked me to heed, his warning that I didn't follow. So my future father-in-law took me to my home. I went in, knocked on the door. My dad had already gone to bed, told him that my car was stolen. And his first question to me was, son, did you leave the keys in the car? And I still remember how difficult it was to be able to say, yes, dad, I did. At that moment, it was clear that I didn't heed his warning, a warning that he made loud and clear. Well, if we fast forward, there's a good ending to the story because that same 66 Mustang is in my garage today. But I'll come back to this story later. Today, we're going to see in James something similar. See, James gives us a warning in chapter 4, verse 11. He gives us a similar warning to pay attention to something that is extremely important to the church, something that is easy to forget, easy to disregard, easy to not see as important as it is. James is once again addressing our speech, but unlike how he addresses the tongue in chapter 3 in a general way, here James focuses our attention to a very specific area of our speech, the speech we direct to one another in the church, speech among the family of God. And the main theme of the message today is this, our speech impacts our unity. Our speech impacts our unity. Let's turn to the scripture now. Chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. I'll read them for us. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save 
and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So in reviewing this, ta- this message today, I have three points. Number one, the tongue. Number two, the lawgiver. And number three, the question. But as we open God's word, please allow me to lead us in prayer. Father, I'm aware this morning of my need for your help, for your grace, as we open your word. Lord, as I endeavor to impart the truth of your scripture to us as a church. Father, I ask your grace in my preaching today. Father, may we see your intent, and may we have grace to apply your word. Father, be with us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. The first point, the tongue. See, James uses strong language in our text today. Do not speak evil against one another. He uses what's called a negative imperative. Do not. And if you look within the book of James, he uses that language. Do not. Five different times in his book. Four of those address our speech. See, this is an important topic for James, and he wants us to grasp the importance and the effect of the tongue in this passage, especially on one another. James is telling us in these short, this short two-verse passage not speak evil against one another. But this passage does beg the question, what is evil speech? So evil speech is critical, speech that tears down, speech that's demeaning, that judges, that condemns, that slanders. See, this is another instance where James is probably paralleling the message he heard in the Sermon of the Mount by Jesus, where Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2, to not judge, condemn, to judge unfavorably, where he says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. James is speaking of evil speech where we're judging someone unfavorably. It can affect the unity of the church by sowing division. It separates people from one another, people that are called to build together. James is warning us that our speech can be destructive if we're not aware of its effect. Evil speech is speaking down to someone else, demeaning them, elevating my opinion, and ultimately judging them as wrong. James knows that for everyone, the stronger we hold our opinion or view, the easier it is to feel justified in sharing it, even if it may be shared critically, especially if our opinion is different from our neighbor. But just like the original audience James was speaking to, they had issues where they had strong opinions. It was a different century, but people are people. As people, we have strong opinions. In their century, It was whether they had a right to eat food sacrificed to idols or should they maintain Jewish festivals or how to view circumcision or even how to respond to Roman occupation and taxation. We don't have those issues, but we have our own 21st century issues, like our opinion about the wisdom of the various coronavirus responses or our view of politics in an election year. 
or even the recent handling of the memorials and the statues. James wants us to watch our tongues when we speak together, regardless of the century or the topic, to guard from evil speech with one another. The unity of the church is at stake. Here at Center Church, I believe we're working hard in guarding our speech together. I think that we are doing well. I think we're doing what James is asking us to do, actually warning us about. However, I do think we're in a challenging season, a season that is becoming prolonged and more intense in ways that we have yet to see. And we need to continue to be diligent in the area. We need all of us to take James' warning to heart. He says, don't speak eagle, excuse me, don't speak evil against one another, brothers. And he's referring to brothers and sisters there. He begins with one another. And then he focuses on the term brothers. And he uses it three times in that verse. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. This is how we're to be thinking about each other because it's easier to speak well to the ones we love. This relationship should inform how we think about and speak to one another, guarding our unity together in the family of God. If we see each other this way as brothers and sisters, speaking down to one another is not an option because as brothers and sisters in Christ, we all have the same Savior all saved in the same way, all justified by Christ, all forgiven of our sin, all enter the family of God the same way by adoption, all have the same heavenly Father, the same access to the same God. We have the same Spirit living in us, the same citizenship, the same heaven as our home, the same God as our Father with the love and the acceptance, saved by grace alone to the glory of God alone. We, brothers and sisters in Christ, should love one another and speak to one another in a way that reflects how we are together in Christ, unified by Him. You may be asking yourself right now, well, wait a minute, what do these verses 11 and 12, how do they fit into this chapter? It seems a departure. Are they out of place? I would say no, because our speech can be a way that we can either draw on the grace of God through humility towards one another or resist God through any evil speech to one another. And that's an application of the verses that preceded these two that we heard about humbling ourselves and drawing on the grace of God. This is just a practical way in which we can do that together as a church the tongue. Now let's look at the second point, the law. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. How does speaking against your brother or your sister speak against the law and judge the law? What is James wanting us to see about the seriousness of our speech in this way? First, what would come to the minds of the original audience is that the Old Testament law clearly states in Leviticus 19.16 
that slandering one another is a violation of the law. And then adding in verse 19 in Leviticus chapter 19, same chapter, that we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. The very opposite of that. In Matthew 19, 19, Jesus himself repeats this law, saying that we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. Then James now refers to this in chapter 2, verse 8, where he calls it the royal law. If you're really fulfilling the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself. You are doing well. So when we speak evil against our neighbor, when we judge unfavorably our neighbor, we're judging the law by not following it. So then, who is our neighbor? Well, James is using three different terms to describe who our speech affects. One another, brother and sister, and neighbor. The very end of chapter or verse 12. They all refer to us as believers together in the church. And God has given us his royal law that we should love our neighbors, which is one another, as ourselves. So when we fail to show love for our neighbors, for each other, but instead speak evil against our neighbors, then according to James, we're placing ourselves above the law. Or as James says, we're judging the law by not following it. When we find ourselves judging the law, not applying it to ourselves, we are rather, as he says, being, we are not being a doer of the law, but a judge. This type of critical speech wars against the humility that James calls us to in these preceding verses before verse 11. Then in verse 12, James says, There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. One lawgiver. This is the only place in Scripture that this description of God is used. His law is an expression of who and what he is. He gave us his commands in his law in order that by obeying them, we might fashion our lives after his image. How we speak to one another is included in God's law and God's direction for his people. God is the lawgiver. We are the image bearer. When we speak wrongly against one another, we're breaking or judging the law. And finally, my last point, third point, the question. See, James ends this short two-verse passage with a question that just hangs out there. I believe James wants us to promote thought and self-review as he asks this question of all of us. Who are you to judge your neighbor? However, as we look at this question, as we look at this sentence, it's important to look at it in the context. Right before that, James says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. James not only brings this unique title of God as lawgiver to our attention before he asks the question, he also helps us to see the unique actions of God toward us, his children. God, who could justly have condemned and destroyed each and every one, chose rather to save. He who is able to save 
and destroy. God chose to save us, brothers and sisters, as his children. Our Father extended undeserved mercy to each of us. It is on this ground of undeserved mercy that both critic and the criticized stand together as brethren of the same Father. But who are you? Do you hear that question? How do you see yourself in light of this two-verse review of our speech to one another? How do you hear that question? Do you hear it in a harsh, almost sarcastic tone, making you feel condemned? Because you have judged others unfavorably at times, as all of us have. So now you just need to try harder to control your speech? If so, that is missing James' intention in this passage. Condemnation is not his goal. Awareness and conviction are his goal. Condemnation only drives us into ourselves to work harder, only to fail again. Conviction directs us to Christ for forgiveness and freedom and grace and help to change and to guard our tongues. See, whether we judge one another unfavorably out loud or not, it can still be something in our hearts. And when this is the case, words are not far away. If you see your speech falling under James' negative imperative here, do not speak evil against one another. Simply look again to Christ. Last week we learned that grace equals help. Look to Christ. He gives more grace, verse 6, to empower our speech to be humble together. He forgives us. He frees us. He gives grace to empower us to do what he's called us to do. Every command in Scripture, God gives us the grace to fulfill as he does in this one. Let me return to the opening story. To my dad's credit, when I came home, he got up. He was actually in bed. And he helped me call the police, fill out a police report. And he walked with me through every step. He never again brought it up. He showed me mercy, which I did not deserve. And when I recall that memory of my car being stolen, it's my dad's response I remember the most. I remember more of his mercy, his mercy that night. I remember that more than breaking his law of do not leave the keys in the car. It has always said more to me that he showed his unconditional love to his undeserving son. That's what I remember. How much more unconditional love and mercy will we experience from our perfect heavenly Father as we come to the throne of grace? He will give us mercy. And we will find grace to help in our time of need, as it says in Hebrews 4.16. Church, as we go forward in this confusing social season, remember, our speech impacts our unity. And let us allow the warning from James, from these two verses, to guide our speech among one another, among brothers.
among sisters, among neighbors, together, God's people. Let us use this time to strengthen our unity by extending mercy to one another, not judgment, building up, not tearing down. Remember, our unity is built upon Christ, not upon commonly held social opinions. Earlier in this message, I itemized what evil speech is and how it impacts our unity. James is wanting us to see that. He's warning us in these two verses. However, do you also see the opportunity presented to us? This opportunity in heeding this warning to speak mercy to one another, to build one another up, to extend mercy rather than judgment in a way that can build our unity together even during this season. What does this speech look like together? What does this godly speech look like together? Well, first of all, remember, our speech is powerful. Yes, it can be destructive when we use evil speech towards one another, but it also is very powerful when we use it as God intended to build up, to unify, to grow. What does this look like? Well, number one, it looks like speaking encouragement to one another, giving encouragement often especially to your discouraged brother or sister in Christ. So first of all, speaking encouragement. Next, what? speaking hope. Hope that we have in Christ. Hope that we have because of the glorious gospel. Hope that Christ meets us. We can keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So speaking hope to one another, especially to the brother or sister you find that's hopeless. Third is to speak to one another the very promises of God to help them see where God's promise intersects with their trial, their difficulty. Often that's hard to see. A brother or sister can show you, can direct your attention. Speak the promises of God to one another. Build up our hope. Next, Speak scripture to one another. The living word that is sharper than any two-edged sword that divides joint and marrow, even thoughts and intentions of the heart. Speak the word to one another and build the faith of your brother and sister through the word of God. And finally, let our speech be prayer for one another. Prayer with one another. Let us be quick to pray with our brothers and sisters and quick to pray for them. That godly speech can be what unifies our body together, even through this difficult pandemic and trial that we're going through currently. You see, the same lawgiver and judge has other titles in Scripture. Another title is this, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. 1 Corinthians 1.3. God's mercy is endless. And for this season, God's mercy is available to us. So as a church, let's be committed 
to extending mercy in our speech to one another, knowing that our speech impacts our unity. Please pray with me. Lord, as we have opened your word, Lord, now we ask your grace to be with us as we endeavor to walk out the commands of your scripture to us. Father, we do pray for Center Church that here in this place, Father, that we would build one another up through our godly speech together. That you would guard us, help us to heed James's warning to us and help us apply the truth of your word to our lives. Father, help us bring glory to your name. And Father, it's in your holy name we pray. Amen.